0: Welcome to Sports Spectrum, the sports and faith podcast that brings Jesus back into the conversation. Here's your host, Jason Romano.
1: Welcome everyone to this episode of the Sports Spectrum podcast with Chris Burke, former Major League Baseball player and ESPN college baseball analyst and you can find this podcast in every single episode of the sports spectrum podcast over at sports and i want to tell you about a great deal happening right now as you enter near the holiday season thanksgiving christmas the time when we are purchasing gifts and thinking about what can we get for others well sports is the place to go right now and you can subscribe to our magazine it's our quarterly magazine And it's the best deal you'll find around for our magazine. It's literally four issues plus a welcome issue and a couple bonus issues. So you get four or five issues of the Sports Spectrum podcast for $18 for the entire year. 18 bucks. That's it. Buy one for yourself. Buy one for someone you know that would love to read stories about the intersection of sports and faith. The Sports Spectrum magazine is awesome. I love it. It's something I share. I have it on my coffee table. I share it with friends and family youth groups, you know, just people in men's ministries, whatever it is, I love sharing the Sports Spectrum podcast and the Sports Spectrum magazine with them. And I can't encourage you enough to go buy a subscription to the Sports Spectrum magazine. It's $18. It's super cheap right now. We've slashed the price and it is a great outreach tool to get for someone you love that knows who Jesus is. Maybe they don't even know who Jesus is. But they love sports. And that's what this podcast is about. That's what Sports Spectrum is about the intersection of sports and faith. $18. You won't find a better deal around. Go to sportspectrum.com and subscribe today. Today's guest on the podcast is Chris Burke. Now, Chris played in the major leagues with the Houston Astros, Arizona Diamondbacks, and San Diego Padres from 2004 to 2009 before retiring in 2010. He was selected by the Astros in the first round of the 2001 MLB draft, 10th overall selection. He was the 2003 Round Rock AA MVP, and he was a Pacific Coast League Rookie of the Year in 2004 with the New Orleans Zephyrs, and he made his Major League debut that same season, July 4th, Independence Day, against the Texas Rangers and got his first MLB hit September 14th against the St. Louis Cardinals. Played his college ball at the University of Tennessee. But Chris probably is most known around Major League Baseball and definitely in the city of Houston for being the guy to hit a series-winning walk-off homer in Game 4 of the 2005 NLDS, the NL Division Series. That's right, Houston was in the NL before they moved to the American League a few years ago. That game was an 18-inning, 5-hour and 50-minute marathon that Chris Burke ended on a walk-off home run, the second longest playoff game ever up until recently when the Dodgers and Red Sox played in that 7-hour and 30-minute marathon, 18 innings in Game 3 of the World Series in 2018. Thought it'd be fun to have Chris on the podcast to talk about playing in an 18-inning game and being the hero, hitting that series-winning walk-off homer. And what that would be like for an athlete to to have such a great experience and such a great moment in their career. And Chris also is an ESPN college baseball analyst and he's also a man of faith. And so we wanted to hear about his faith journey as well. But really I, I just wanted to kind of dive into the moment when he hit that series ending walk walk off home run and just what that is like. Uh, and what it was like to be on that team, that Houston Astros team. So let's get right to it. Without further ado, here's Chris Burke, former Major League Baseball player, ESPN College Baseball Analyst on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, Excited to be here. It is good to talk to you, Chris, and we're grateful to have you on the program. Having played... In Major League Baseball for many years, we'd be remiss not to ask you about the World Series, the 2018 World Series played last month, won by the Boston Red Sox yet again, dominating the entire season, winning 108 games and beating the Yankees, and then the defending champion Astros, and then the defending NL champion Los Angeles Dodgers in four, five, and five games. I mean, really playing so well in the postseason and looking like a like a formidable foe throughout where does this team rank for you as far as what you've seen in your baseball lifetime? I mean, they were dominant this year.
0: Well, you got to put them right up there. Um, you know, there are teams that, that look really good on paper that don't quite get it done or maybe don't check all the boxes that this team has. I mean, when you when you win the most games in the history of one of the most storied franchises in the sport, you you, you start with a chance to put yourself in that conversation, right? And then You know, I think not only did they win that many games, uh, they won won that many games in the same division as a team that also won 100 games. Now, you could say that might speak to how lousy some of the other teams were in that division, but um, nevertheless, you know, playing the Yankees a bunch, it's it's certainly not easy to win that many games. And then you look at the run they had through the playoffs. You play a 100-win team in the Yankees. Then you play uh, certainly the second-best team in baseball, another 100-win team in the Astros. Uh, And then you play the defending National League champions back in the World Series for their second straight year. And as you said, only dropped one game in each of those series um, and won a few different types of ways. Um, I think it speaks to a team that could play against any team in any era um, because they're that diverse and they're that deep.
1: Boston seemed to win in so many different ways and bringing starters as relievers and relievers as starters and just getting contributions from everywhere. What were your thoughts on how they went about winning and just the the sort of, I guess, going for the jugular that the team had and Alex Corr, the manager, had and just figuring out ways to just win the game no matter who it is and how they have to do it?
0: Yeah, I think some of that speaks to the current state of your club, right? I think, I think Chris Sales is probably a little more banged up than we know about, right? Um, and so I, I think that changed the way the Red Sox had to manage the series. Uh, plus, they, they got, you know, I don't know if this is the right term, but they kind of got lightning in a bottle with David Price, somebody that, you know, they weren't really sure what they had uh, starting the postseason as far as a postseason pitcher. And next thing you know, uh, he turns into a dude and wins his last three starts after having not won one at all. Um, I guess maybe won his last four starts um, in the postseason. So, um, you know, some of that's just the awareness of a manager that has tremendous feel and tremendous intelligence and um, in uh, Alex Cora. So, uh, but he's also got a roster that's versatile, right? I mean, there are a lot of people that thought Chris Sale was going to be a closer when he first got called up just because of the unorthodox nature with which he throws. And he certainly looked pretty good in that role, didn't he? Uh, So, um, you know, and then their lineup is just, they got just a bunch of baseball players. I mean, fact, Mookie Betts could probably go out there and play shortstop and and, and be an all-star. So they got a bunch of guys that can do a bunch of different things. And um, over the course of a regular season and then no matter what the postseason threw them, they just kept answering all the challenges.
1: Now, we're talking to Chris Burke here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. All right, you came up with the Astros, the 2017 champs, the team that the Red Sox beat and dethroned in the ALCS, and you threw out the first pitch before game four of that ALCS last month. I'm just curious uh, if you've ever thrown a first pitch before, and I'm sure thinking about, don't bounce it. That's what they always say when you throw a first pitch is not to bounce it. I wonder what that experience was like for you and, and, and that moment to be able to throw out a first pitch.
0: Well, it's funny that you just said bounce it because I've never um, had more people tell me don't bounce it in my entire life than when uh, (laughs) it got announced that I was throwing out the first pitch. I mean, maybe I've said that to people in the past. I don't know, but it was crazy how that was just the knee-jerk reaction of every person that I told I was throwing out the first pitch to. Don't bounce it. Don't bounce it. And so something that you really didn't think a whole lot about prior to now all of a sudden it's in your head running out there, but uh, a lot of my broadcasting buddies had some wagers on what was going to be the outcome. And fortunately I went out there and ripped the strike. So I, I put the, I, I put the bed a lot of doubters <laughs> that day.
1: <laughs> and I saw one of your boys was with you too, as you got to experience that, what was that like having him be a part of that with you?
0: Oh man, that was uh, the highlight of my trip. Um, that and meeting Torn Wells, uh, was probably the highlight of my trip, but, uh, We'll get into that in a second, but um, yeah, my, my oldest boy Jackson is nine years old and um, is is cut from a similar cloth to me, and that he loves to compete and uh, has some ability, and so he's already got big dreams and and works very hard at uh, trying to become a uh, better athlete all the time. He, he plays all the different sports, uh, but definitely knows that his old man was a ball player, and so. Um, you know, I retired the year he was born and, and part of his story is part of my story. And so for him to be able to, um, get out there and, and be back where I got to, you know, my career got started and, uh, feel the postseason environment, especially that was a, a special moment for the two of us. All
1: right. You mentioned Torn Wells, Torn Wells, the Christian singer. You hear him a lot on, uh, on K-Love and other Christian music stations. Explain why that was such a cool thing and a cool moment and how you came about meeting him.
0: Well, Torrin Wells is, is one of my favorite new Christian artists, uh, and it was weird. I've been, like, catching him on the radio a bunch, and I hadn't downloaded his album yet, but he's got one of those names you remember. And so uh, we got to Houston, and we had been down at B T and they sent us up to this suite where they were kind of entertaining us, the people that were beyond the field guests for the, for the game, and me and my boy were just getting something to eat. And we walked in, and there's a guy with his wife and three kids sitting there eating, and he introduced himself as Torn. And mind you, I've never seen one of his videos. I have no clue what Torn Wells looks like at this point. But the name was so unique that I kind of did a double take and just said, hey, I'm Chris. And he, he asked me why I was there. I told him I was throwing out the first pitch. I used to uh, play for the Astros, and I asked him why he was there. And he said he was singing uh, God Bless America in the seventh inning, and I, I my head snapped around. I said, you're Torn Wells. And he said, yeah, I am. And I said, dude, I love your stuff. And his wife thought that was kind of cool. She got she a big smile. And so uh, we started talking about some of the songs of his that I love. And uh, sure enough, we went right home and downloaded his album, and we've been rocking the Torn Wells the last few weeks going to school.
1: <laughs> I love that story. That is awesome. What a great story. We're talking to Chris Burke here on the Sports Spectrum podcast. Chris, before we talk about that moment where you uh where you entered into I guess legendary lore with the Houston Astros in that game in 2005, let's let's talk about your faith journey and where your walk with the Lord began. Tell us about that.
0: Yeah, um I was raised by uh Two, two uh, God-fearing parents, uh, my parents raised me Catholic, and I was in church every Sunday and went to Catholic schools my whole life. And uh, When I decided to go to the University of Tennessee and set out kind of on my own path and got away from home, um, there was definitely a, a bit of a void early on in my freshman year because I just wasn't um, uh, feeding myself spiritually. And I, I felt that gap because my parents had done a really good job of, of giving me some of those roots. And um, so anyway, I was uh, invited uh, to a Bible study by the campus Athletes in Action pastor there, a guy by the name of Dave Tegelar, who just had this incredible uh, spirit and way about him. And I really had, I'd never been to a Bible study, but I knew there was something about him that the the light in him was drawing me near. And so uh, I said, yes. And me and a couple of the other guys went and uh, he made an invitation to accept Christ that very first time I ever really dove into the Word, and I, I accepted and um, certainly had some periods of, of uh, ups and downs, and of course, we all are still uh, trying to mature in our walk, but my college years were um, spent kind of growing and who I was as my own man and not, you know, Al and Mary Joe's son, but, but being, you know, being my own person and kind of owning my own faith and Um, that really accelerated when I got into professional baseball and started to be ministered to by the baseball chapel ministry that is so prevalent through, throughout professional baseball and through the course of that. And, and many really, um, uh, faithful teammates, um, I started to grow and grow and grow in my desire for the word and my, uh, desire to, um, honor God in different walks in my life and, um. You know, that's been a a journey that I'm still on today, but one that has really shaped my life and my decisions over the last 15 years or so.
1: You were selected by the Astros in the first round of the 2001 MLB Draft, 10th overall, Chris. And then you retired in 2010. And we're going to talk about kind of some things that filled in the gaps there. But walk us through, I guess, life as a pro baseball player, both in the minor leagues where you played very well in the minors and then coming into the major leagues, both as a young man just trying to figure out life, but also as a young man of faith and what that was look what that looked like to be a Christian baseball player uh, as opposed to a baseball player who happened to be a Christian. What was that like for you?
0: Yeah, well, I think you know, uh, as, I'm, as I'm sure many people can relate to, I, I look back at that period of my life and think about some of the areas I wish I'd have excelled at better in, but um you know, I think that piece of, of everybody's story, those early years are a beautiful piece that God does amazing things through. And you look back and you can see all the different ways where he was working. And for me, it was, you know, really two things. Number one, I had a, a teammate I had a, um, as I said, a, a bunch of great pastors that ministered to me through baseball chapel, but also had a teammate in double A by the name of Anthony Acevedo. That was a real, he was what I like to call a real dude. He was, he was uh a Christ follower and and was really graceful and non-judgmental but was the real deal and um we roommate we were roommates and uh I started asking him some real questions and he he really challenged me to get into the word and you know I accepted that challenge and and really once once I did once I started getting into the gospels um specifically God started speaking to me about you know my own walk and my own testimony and the way I was using my gifts to point people to him. And, um, and then through that, you know, I started trying to navigate uh, my relationship with my then girlfriend, now wife, Sarah, and um, you know, make some decisions that were more in line with, with biblical principles. And, and, and then really when I got to the big leagues, uh, I was fortunate to be influenced by a couple of really strong believers, uh, Lance Berkman and Andy Pettit that put their arms around me and welcomed me in. And, you know, I was kind of a Timothy to them, and um, I'm grateful for it because they told me a lot about what it looked like to, to be a pro and um, to handle all the different challenges that come with being a Major League Baseball player, but most importantly, uh, following Jesus and, and being a husband and father.
1: What were some of the things that you saw maybe and, and even learned from guys like Berkman and Pettit and being in such a veteran-laden locker room with those Astros teams in the mid-2000s? And you have a mix of young guys, obviously, like yourself, but there a lot of veterans there. What were some of the things that you learned and maybe took away from people like Berkman and Pettit and just being in that locker room?
0: Yeah, it was a it was a really uh, old experienced locker room that I walked into in Houston. And I, I wasn't all that young, 24 years old when I got called up, but in that locker room, I was very young, um, because there were so many older established players, but you know, I think Lance and Andy taught me two different things. Um, they had their strengths, uh, and they were very clear. And because of that, we all kind of, uh, really got along. Well, Lance's strength was in his knowledge of the word. I mean, Lance, Knew the, knew the word. Um, uh, he was rooted and established in the word. Um, and Andy was just a, a tremendous example relationally of what, what it looked like to, uh, love people well and be intentional, uh, with people, um, and with the way he competed and carried himself on the field. And so I think they each taught me some different things, um, on, Kind of the full measure of what it what it meant to follow Jesus in, in the confines of being an athlete and um, you know nobody's perfect and um, one, I remember one of the first things Lance told me was hey dude don't put your trust in me I'll let you down you know which is really a good word right because sometimes as believers we can get caught up in almost worshiping pastors or or musicians or or, or athletes that we think model Christ and while certainly there are people that are worthy of following um those people themselves will tell you um they're they're just humans and um as as peter um and paul both said so well god in the in the in the letters which is you know follow me as i follow christ right and 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 i'm just a man and and jesus is the one worth following and so they they both embodied that very well but both had tremendous skills and um um on the field but more, most importantly were were very uh, grounded in in who they were in in Jesus.
1: We're talking to Chris Burke here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. All right, Chris, you played in one of the most memorable playoff games ever, especially in Houston Astros history, game four of the 2005 National League Division Series. The Astros were in the National League prior to moving to the American League a few years back, and this game went 18 innings. And I think one of the cool things about talking to you is we just had an 18-inning game occur in the world series in game three between the Dodgers and the Red Sox. And before we get into the particulars of this game and kind of what was happening, uh, and you didn't even enter the game until later, uh, in that, in that contest, can you share with us kind of what sticks out before your memorable at bat because you had the at bat of all at bats for maybe for a career in that game. And we'll talk about it in a second, but what sticks out to you prior to that at bat about that game? Yeah, it was an incredible
0: game. Um, you know we were up against it uh, in a way because we were facing Hudson, and they had Smoltz ready for Game Five. And even though we were winning the series two to one, um, Pettit, who was supposed to throw Game Five for us, was sick as a dog, and um, we knew that. And they had sent him home with a nasty temperature, and so. Um, there was a sense that we really needed to, anytime you get somebody in your own building in an elimination game, you feel like you need to close that out. Right. Uh, but especially when you're staring John Smoltz down. So we got off to a terrible start. Um, Adam LaRoche, I think hit a grand slam in the, uh, I don't know what it was like the fourth inning. And they opened up a six to one lead. It wasn't looking so hot. Um, and then Berkman hit the grand slam in the eighth to make it six to five. But even then, we're down a run. They got Farnsworth in the game. It's not looking so good. And and really, the 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 biggest swing of the game that I almost feel guilty about that kind of gets forgotten. Of course, I tease him all the time that he gets enough praise. Uh, The the Los Angeles Angels' newest manager, Brad Ausmus, uh, got it. You know, hit a two out two two out solo homer uh, off Kyle Farnsworth. And I think Brad only had three or four home runs or something that year. So, you know, to think that he hit a home run to tie the game up. Um, off a guy throwing 100 miles an hour. Um, when we're down to our last out, that's, that's the biggest swing of the game. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and, and I wasn't even, the funny thing about it well, I wasn't even in the game at that point in time. So, uh, I was still, uh, had not been used. I didn't start the game. And so then in the 10th, I believe Berkman hits a two out double. And of course, the lineup was so jacked up at that point that, uh, the pitcher spot was behind Lance. So they pinch hit Bagwell for the pitcher with two outs and they pinch ran me for Berkman. Now, one of the things Phil Garner was, he was a lot of things, but by the book is not one of them. So most people would tell you that with two outs, you would never pinch run for your superstar player. Uh, But he, he pinch runs me for Berkman with two outs. Bagwell gets out and uh, we got to play the next, the rest of the game without Berkman in the lineup. So that was not great. So, uh, on an offense that very much needed Lance, we we sputtered for eight innings, but fortunately our bullpen was lights out. And, of course, Roger Clemens' only relief appearance of his entire career, he comes in and throws three shutout innings. And, and the famous part of that story is that for, like, three innings, maybe from, like, the fourth through the sixth, he threw BP to his boys during the game that day. <laughs> That's insane. And if you've ever seen Rocky throw BP, he's not tossing balls in there. Like, he's basically pitching. But uh, Roger had a bionic arm, and so anyway, he grabs his cleats and goes out there and and pitches uh, 16th, 17th, and 18th for us, and then uh, finally I I hit a ball over the left field wall to to give us a win. So that that was probably more than you wanted, but it was a a game that had a lot of different uh, storylines to it.
1: We could talk about this game for an entire just an entire podcast just on the game itself with all the storylines like you mentioned there was yeah. so much to happen yeah. there yeah. And, uh, and it's such a great memorable game if you go back on YouTube and watch it it's pretty awesome and, and Roger Clemens throwing you know that those shutout innings late was amazing but I wonder for you because you came in in the 10th inning and you basically played an entire game through the 18th inning uh, is that the I guess is it the longest game you've ever played in is that the greatest game you've ever played in
0: yeah, it, it, it was, um, I think the last game I played in the big leagues might've been a 17 inning game, but that that's neither here nor there, but yeah, the 18 inning game was the, the longest, um, game I was ever part of. And I, you know, I think, um, as the game went on, as you see sometimes in big league baseball games, the bullpens are so good, right. Uh, especially playoff teams. There's a reason playoff teams are in the playoffs. They've got really good bullpens, right. Um, and then hitters tend to get a little one-dimensional in those scenarios, especially the home team. Um, and while most guys won't admit it, and I don't even know if it's conscious, I think a lot of people start to, you know, try to end it with one swing, which rarely goes well. Uh, but fortunately, you know, I-, I was able to get a 2-0 count and get a fastball in the inside part of the plate, get the barrel to it, but. Uh, there was, you know, I'm sure a bunch of guys that would tell you they had good pitches to hit and maybe swung a little harder than normal or pulled off a ball they normally would stayed on or whatever, uh, just because it can get it can get in your head as the game goes on to try to end it with one swing your
1: bat. It's funny, I mentioned as I was um, doing my research here, went back and watched a game on YouTube, an exciting game to watch, but it's actually funny, when you come to bat in the 18th inning, Chris, the pitch before, a couple pitches before you actually hit the home run to win it, you know, it's a series-ending, series-clinching home run, which there are so few of those that have ever happened in the history of baseball. You were actually going up there to bunt. Yeah. Was that your intention, or was that sort of just some kind of, you know, trickery, or trying to fool the other team, or were you actually going up there to try and bunt?
0: Yeah, well, I was a runner, you know, I, that's a, that was part of my game. And in college, I used to bunt for a hit from time to time. And, uh, you know, I came up to bat off a nasty sidearm righty, which I was never a big fan of facing sidearm right handers. Um, and so I kind of thought he might start me off with a slider. And I always used to like to try to bunt sliders because I would, uh, I could get a running start and usually they're breaking away from the bat. So you could kind of get out of the box as you're, as you're bunting it and usually you could deaden it. And I was thinking Chipper Jones, who's, you know, at the time, 35, 36 years old, he'd been playing third base for six hours. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking maybe I could, yeah, maybe I could catch him napping, you know. Um, so that was my thought process, that simple. And then I could, and I knew Devine was kind of slow to the plate, so I thought maybe I could steal second and then score on a single. Um, that was my mindset walking up to bat. And and when he threw that to the backstop, now you're heading the count. So now you're pretty sure you're getting a fastball, and you know from there, I
1: was ready to swing the bat. Do you have the ball, the home run ball? Did that ever come back to you? No,
0: the ball is in Cooperstown, believe it or not. So yeah, so the 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 guy who caught Lance's eighth inning grand slam also caught my 18th inning walk off.
1: Is that crazy or what? Is that right? Yeah, that's crazy. What are the odds of that? It's in-
0: incredible. I mean, it's insane. I'm sure they're through the roof, but. Yeah, the Astros, uh, he he gave both balls back really cool. I think Lance and I both signed a jersey and a bat to him or something, and um, he was as accommodating as he could be.
1: So a few weeks ago, the Dodgers and Red Sox play an 18-inning game themselves. I wonder if you saw that game because it ended at about 3.30 East Coast time here in Connecticut. I did not stay up. I was long asleep by the time that game was over. But I wonder what kind of memories maybe that evoked for you, having played in such a memorable 18-inning game where you were the hero in watching that Dodgers-Red Sox 18-inning marathon in Game 3 of the World Series.
0: Well, you know, I didn't get to watch m- much of it. I-, I woke up the next day and had a bunch of tweets thrown at me, which is always flattering. Um, but, yeah, any, you know, anytime you see somebody around in the base, especially in the 18th inning, I think there was – I think maybe did the, the, the Phillies and Nationals or it was the Giants and the Nationals played a game a couple years ago that won 18 innings where somebody hit a home run in the top of the 18th. Of course, it wasn't a walk-off. It was the top of the – it was visiting team hit it. But, um, yeah. Yeah, certainly. October is just a neat time in general just because anybody that's ever played in October will tell you it uh brings back some great memories. It's just uh you know, the the regular season has its has its neat moments, but there's nothing like the playoffs.
1: A couple more questions here with Chris Burke on the Sports Spectrum podcast. You're doing coaching and teaching right now for baseball, certainly private instruction, and you're an ESPN college baseball analyst as well, a dad to five children uh with your wife Sarah. And uh, that's got to keep you busy enough, I'm sure. But uh, why is coaching and teaching so important to you, especially, I guess, in the way that you acclimate your faith through it and live out your faith uh, as a teacher and as a coach? Tell me about coaching kids and why that's uh, something you're passionate about.
0: Man, I just, I, um, you know, I'm fortunate to uh, be in an industry that you can make a living um, using the knowledge that you've attained uh, to help others, uh, achieve. And I've really found a uh, great, um, enjoyment and fulfillment out of pay- paying that forward. And, and, you know, I consider my role as an instructor much bigger than just teaching kids how to hit, you know, I feel like I've become part of these kids lives and try to make a positive impact with them and their families and, and help them navigate the, uh, stressful waters of, of amateur baseball because it is it's it's a stressful time in people's lives it's it's not necessarily supposed to be but it usually becomes that especially as they try to achieve in the high school and college world um and and uh so I enjoy that piece of it um and then you know the the youth coaching side where I get to coach my kids teams where I get to really develop a team and speak speak into the kids toughness and their character and try to make parallels into life lessons we just finished up a uh Wee uh championship football season that was just a blast and third and fourth grade football and just so many great lessons and I'm a, I'm a big believer in the value of playing all the sports and there's so much to be learned uh and so many great faith parallels between athletics and, and team um and our our journey with with christ and and more specifically how we interact with
1: others Last question, Chris, and it's been great having you here on the podcast. I wonder what you've been learning from the Lord during this season of life, where you are now a dad to five kids, retired, been retired now for eight years, an ESPN college baseball analyst. What are you learning from the Lord during this season of life?
0: Well, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, I just spoke. We do a group here at church, uh, my home church here in Louisville, Southeast Christian Church. We have a Thursday morning group called Man Challenge, and I usually speak once a semester, and I spoke last week on humility, and a topic I um, have had a lifelong battle with. But, you know, I really—C.S. Uh, Lewis's definition of it, um, the, the idea that it's not thinking less of yourself, but of yourself less, is a um, biblical, biblically-rooted, I believe, definition of, of humility. And, you know, Jesus certainly didn't deny His power and His capability and His, and his purpose Uh, But obviously, he came to serve and not to be served. And so I think for me, what God's teaching me and continues to teach me is just the concept of trying to die to myself, die to my selfishness, die to my self-centeredness, and try to think of myself less um, so that I can love my wife better and raise my kids more intentionally um, and and really try to uh, purpose my gifts more intentionally for others, for the good of others, as opposed to... Um, using them for whatever, uh, self-centered purposes I'm, I'm prone to do. So, uh, I think that's probably the, just the concept of godly humility, um, and dying to myself and, 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 and trying to be more externally focused is, is certainly something that has, uh, been a, a, a learning season for me as, as the, uh, busyness of, of fatherhood and, uh, life have,
1: have come on strong here in the last decade. He is Chris Burke, former Major League Baseball player, ESPN College Baseball Analyst. Chris, it's been great to catch up with you to hear your journey, talk a little baseball as well, and relive that amazing 2005 NL Division Series Game 4 moment that you had. Thanks for joining us here on the podcast, and hopefully we'll catch up again soon.
0: Sounds good, Jayce. Thanks for having me. Thanks for all you do, man.
1: And we appreciate Chris Burke for joining us here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast, former Major League Baseball player, ESPN college baseball analyst you can watch all of his analyst work on ESPN during the college baseball season that'll be coming up next February and March of 2019 you can also follow Chris on Twitter at chrisburk 2 at chrisburk 2 and we thank Chris for joining us here on the podcast we also thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast as always you can listen to all of our episodes on Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, everywhere podcasts are found. Just hit that subscribe button and you become a member of the Sports Spectrum Podcast family by subscribing to every episode of the Sports Spectrum Podcast and making sure you never miss an episode of the podcast. So We appreciate you for listening. You can always leave a review on Apple iTunes and let us know what you think of the podcast. You can reach me directly, Jason at SportsSpectrum.com, Jason at SportsSpectrum.com. Dot com. I would love to hear your guest ideas or what you thought of this podcast, this episode of the podcast with Chris Burke, and any other ideas that you have as we get into late 2018 and December and 2019 and the start of the new year. We would love to have your ideas for people to interview on the intersection of sports and faith here at Sports Spectrum. Also want to encourage you to go to SportsSpectrum.com and subscribe to our magazine for an entire year. An amazing deal. We've slashed the price. Perfect, perfect holiday gift right here for you. The Sports Spectrum Magazine. $18. Go to sportspectrum.com and subscribe. You get four issues. Our quarterly magazine plus a couple bonus issues including a welcome issue that just kind of sends a little bit of a, hey, how you doing? This is who we are. This is what you subscribe to. And it's really an awesome magazine. It's all kinds of stories on the intersection of sports and faith, plus devotionals, really good stuff over at sportspectrum.com. That's the place to go and subscribe to the Sports Spectrum magazine. I promise you, you will love it. Go check it out, SportsSpectrum.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sports Spectrum podcast. We'll see you next time with a brand new episode right here on Sports Spectrum. Have a great rest of your day.